1: All right, today's episode of Going Off Track is going to have a very short intro. Uh, It is Steven, Jonah, and Brad. Uh, Mike is in on this interview with us today. We're all sitting down with Jim Shearer of VH1's Top 20 Countdown. Jim was on MTV2 for years. He worked at IFC for a bit. Jim and I have known each other for a while, uh, and we get into some deep VJ talk. Yes, if you if you have any, and question,
0: by VJ you mean video jack.
1: Yeah, I mean video jack. I don't know what you're thinking, Brad. <laughs> you sicko. Um, uh, we, if, if there's any question you ever had about being a host on television or uh, working in in a music video world, uh, Jim wants to get into it, and we talk. And these are some deep hosty cuts. So basically, this is your tutorial on how to be a host on TV. Uh, not news. You don't want to do... I mean, news is a different shape or form. But if you want to be like an actual host, listen. So um, let's get right to it. This I, is a long one.
2: I think we should add also uh, the Beastie Boys stuff kind of happened before.
1: Yeah. Before. Jim, yeah, Jim is a huge Beastie Boys fan. And we recorded this right before MCA passed away. Yes. So uh, rest in peace, MCA. And I have to be honest, when when I heard about Adam Yaw, uh losing his battle with cancer... My first thought was, "Oh my God, Jim!" Because like this is his band, you know what I mean. And we all, I mean, you know, Beastie Boys—they're all such a big part of our lives. It, it hurt deeply, but it was just so interesting. That's my first thought: is caring for a friend who loved this band so much. Totally. You know? So anyway, I hope you guys dig it. Uh, Jim Shear from VH1's Top Twenty Countdown—he's just a good, smiley guy. It's going on! <laughs> to my immediate left is Jim Shear. Look at that. Yay. Wait, are we start now? Dude, this is—we This has been rolling for six minutes. <laughs> That's an old uh, subterranean trick we used to do. Way back in the
3: MTV2 days? MTV2 days, days yeah. Because you'd have those indie bands that were quite shy, and then you would just turn on the camera and talk for 20 minutes. And then they turn around and be like, oh, wait, are we taping? And we're like, yeah. Smart. And then they got nervous and
1: weren't as uh, talkative. After we told them. So, you should have never told me. You basically just defined the whole reason we created this podcast is when we would know, interview anybody, the same thing. It was yep. so much cooler in the prep, in the green room. And now you're going to be boring and stiff and monosyllabic.
3: And <laughs> I'll be the opposite <laughs> because I've been there. I've been on
1: your side of things. Jim is, of course, uh, the host of VH1's Top 20 Countdown. It's still, it still be called the V Spot. Is it? That? No. Good. No longer the V Spot. That was always awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Very
3: awkward. Although if you've been uh reading the internet, I guess the G Spot has been found.
1: I did see that recently. Yeah. So I guess it would make sense to bring back the V Spot. Well, I, I did hear uh as as you know, a father of two at home with lots of morning television on, the G Spot was found. But it was found researching the skeleton of a woman in her 80s. Yes. So I don't know the accuracy. <laughs> the need, necessity. So what are you saying? I'm saying ooh, but also ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's also kind of interesting. Now you you were at you're at VH1 now. You were at MTV2 before, but you've told uh, me most likely told Mike you guys you and Mike have a history that we're going to discuss. Dated, we do we dated for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that's before, new. Before so now-
3: Mike broke up with me
1: and started going out with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We did. Now, that's a good story. That's a fantastic you, story. You, it's
3: your podcast. You share that story if you want to share it.
1: Well, uh, the, the thing about Mike and I dating is on the train here, I was giving Mike some <laughs> hand-me-down onesies for his daughter because my daughters <laughs> have now grown them. And we're literally sitting on the L train and Mike's going, oh, my God, this is so cute. This is amazing. <laughs> Holding up clothes. And this Mike, Ramon's shirt. This- <laughs> It's so cute, <laughs> and then you looked at me and said,
0: "Come on, you your cute, the cutest gay couple whatever. That's right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, cute. some lady there was like, there, yeah, there was a lady. There was a lady <laughs>
0: sitting across from us, and she was totally just like, I, she gave me the eyes, like she was like. And it was the total, like, not, oh, you guys are cute. It was, oh, you're so gay and cute. yeah It was like but those eyes. It was like, oh, my God, you two are cute, but the baby's clothes are cute, too. But you guys are such a good couple. You
1: just got on the L train at yeah, 14th like, and 8th. Yes. Like, you guys are like, oh, it's just, you're so, like, both of you. I mean, I could just
0: see it. You know, it's, her eyes said all of that.
1: You are America. Yeah. Now, how'd you get started at MTV2? Open audition. Really? Back in
3: 2001. Yeah. So the deal was, before I moved to New York, I had made a homemade audition tape, and I sent it to MTV2, and I never heard back anything. Because the reason was, I would I was working at McDonald's, and when I had my break, I would watch MTV2, which was on MTV. Now, hmm. do you guys remember from, like, late 90s, early 2000s, maybe an hour or two hours each day, MTV would show... Like an hour block of MTV2. No,
1: I just knew it as it was its own channel. But then again, I was ripping off satellite companies, so I had it.
3: Yeah, because I didn't, I didn't have MTV2, but I had MTV. So every, every day for like an hour, they would show like these random music mm-hmm. videos. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I never remembered seeing a host. So I was like, that's, that's going to be my way in. I'm going to be a VJ for MTV2 while I was working at McDonald's mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. So I sent a homemade audition tape in, never heard anything back. I moved to New York in 2001. I was an office temp, and every day I would check MTV2's website just because I was obsessed with the channel. And one day it said that they were looking for VJs. And I thought, this is my way in. So what I did was there was a number on it. I called the number, and the lady answered. I think her name was Jamie. And she's like, no, all the auditions are filled. You should have called her earlier. And I was like, crap. So uh, I called back later in the day. I got her. Uh, here's the story. I'm sorry. This, this might be confusing. No. But this is also, the story is 10 years old. I called the number and this lady answered. And she's like, no, the auditions are booked. Cause there's like thousands of people trying out. Like we don't have any more room to talk. So I called back later in the day cause I had the number and her voicemail picked up and it said, Hey, this is Jamie from MTV Two. leave a message. And I was like, okay, I have her name now. So I called back later in the day and I had her name and I said, Jamie, I said, we scheduled for an audition. I'm um, like, when can I do it? So I was like, i'm like i'm throwing the ball in your court now and she's like oh yeah 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 okay well you know come in this day so that's how i got my audition i lied
1: that's so slick (laughs) and smart yeah
3: but i kind of she could have been if she was honest because i know a lot of people after working in tv for many years Mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't honest and they don't communicate well so instead of being like i don't know your name i didn't schedule an audition for you she's like yeah oh okay yeah yeah sure yeah okay So she made it seem like she forgot our audition, although it never happened. So I went into the audition, and I sucked. And you've probably been on shoots where you know that you just suck. Most of them. (laughs) Mike can attribute. No. But they're really bad ones. Oh, yeah. So I was, uh, and in my head, while I was doing the audition, I'm like, this is just terrible. So what I did was, I went home that night, and I slept for 16 hours, because I sleep a lot when I'm depressed. And then I sent another audition tape in. And then someone from MTV2 saw the audition tape and they said, oh, give this Jim Shear guy a try. And they said, oh, well, he's not that good. And then someone else was like, well, no, give him a try. So I went in for a, a second audition and I did better. And then it was like for seven months that went on. Like in, when you would go back, you'd see less and less people in the audition room. You're like, all, all right, yeah. I, I might have a chance. But I was just happy that I got the second audition. Everything after that was gravy. And See, then after 7 uh, uh, months then they
1: they gave me the job. So you do the opposite. For me it's like the first couple of auditions I'm like, "Ah, eh, whatever, who gives a crap? This is fine. Callback? Okay, that's cool." Then the closer I get, that's when I start to get nervous and want to throw up and I can't. <laughs> I'm like, "Great, now I'm closer. Now if I fuck it up, it's all me. It's all me." And I you know, as you know for a while you've been the other guy. You know, it's like, "Well, somebody else got the job." And then your agent or someone will say, "Well, nice. What well, was down to just the two of you?" Oh, well, now I feel even more awesome! Thanks. <laughs> now I'm gonna go to sleep crying with one eye. See, but for me, it's as if you—if you
3: give your best effort, there's really nothing you can do. You know, that's the cool you, thing. About- you do what you do. You say what you say. You tell your jokes. You move your hands the way you move your <laughs> hands, and. If they like you, they like you, and if they don't, they don't.
1: Don't give away all the tricks. The moving your hands is The moving, very, yeah, it's, it's an very, art. It's very specific to hosting. <laughs> I, I, I had this buddy who, who, who tried to be a host, and he's a sign interpreter. And he decided to do make this... Uh, he did a pilot for the deaf, but it was like a story about the deaf, so hearing people could watch it as well. And he... Uh, good-looking dude, articulate, could read a prompter. But he did... The whole read holding his hands with his fingertips together and his thumb down like, you know, make it. The, the newscaster. Yeah, but he held it down like this. He held his hands down so his thumb was on top. Uh-oh, All of his deaf friends called up saying, that's hilarious, because he didn't realize that he was doing the sign for vagina. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that is it? Yeah, so the, yeah, you can remember that one. That's pretty good. All right, thanks. Just it's kind of obvious one... when you think about it. I
3: guess so. <laughs> that, didn't that happen no. in the new Paul McCartney music video? I no. think Johnny Depp, uh, Who? Uh, there was someone else in there, and they were signing the words to the song, but they they signed wrong. And instead of saying one word, I think the one lyric was tampon.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, so. Sound language is so bizarre because if you <laughs> subtly, like, like someone told me, because my brother's hearing impaired, but I mean he can hear, but like so I grew up like on the periphery and my mom's a – preschool teacher and they do a lot of sign language my buddy told me that if you're signing the word for for woman or girl which is one of the signs you know taking your thumb and putting it on your cheek or moving it it's different than woman it's different than mother but if you move that slightly it goes from girl to whore like real quick (laughs) so you don't know and like and like cigarette (laughs) is literally like pulling something out of your mouth so that can switch and he he's told me he's like you know deaf people are just the dirtiest filthiest people Because sign languages just go to sex stuff real quick, like right in the middle of a conversation. So that does make sense that someone would switch it. So I don't know if that was a mistake or intentional. Mm. Because I think it's just a matter of like this
3: and this. You can't see that on the podcast. (laughs) It was filthy. You have a podcast. I do. I have a a few podcasts. You have more than one. Oh, wait, you have your wrestling one. Uh, Not a wrestling one. I had Yin's Love. Yes. Yin's Love.podbean.com. That'd be for Pittsburgh, yes. Football... Hockey, and then I think I'm just gonna branch out into stuff people love, but the one that I spend my most time on is the brew dot podbean dot com
1: so uh you you get the job at m t v two no wait a minute hold on, I because heard... I,
3: I yeah, I want to have an in depth discussion yeah. on vJang today because I have a feeling in ten years <laughs> your daughters and your daughter, Jonah, do you have any daughters no Robin no, no daughters <laughs> Leon, no leah. <Leon? laughs> When
1: you tell your daughters that you used to be a VJ, they're going to give you a look like, what's that? Why, Jim? Is that because just last year in 2011, Webster's Dictionary took the term. They took <laughs> it out? VJ and cassette out oh! of the dictionary. Are you serious. How do did you do that? Oxford English Dictionary no removed the term VJ. Well, what if you reference VJ or cassette? How would they know what it? was or is i'd like to focus more on how what we've done as a career has been removed from the english language (laughs) (laughs) so when you say that you were a vj they're going to say well what's that
3: and you're like well i used to introduce music videos on tv and then she'll say they used to show videos on tv Mm -hmm. and you're like yeah and she's like well they're all on the internet now maybe it'll be like a chip in her head I think it's going to
1: be all on television. I think soon it's just going to be, there'll be no... Yeah, the
3: computer and everything. And then she'll say, well, why did you need to introduce music videos? Why couldn't someone just click them on their computer and watch whatever they wanted?
1: And I'm going to say, back then, people were really, really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And if you didn't tell them what they were going to see, there was was confusion, (laughs) there was mayhem... And there's newscasters, and their job was to introduce the news and tell you what's going on. But without someone telling you that that was a musician playing in a video, but they weren't really playing and talk about interesting backstory, the apocalypse would have come out. And I was really stemming off the end of the world. And she'll go, Dad, Mom has bad taste in men. (laughs) And did you host 120 minutes at all? I did. Yes. And do you know how it happened? No. They were so
3: it didn't seem like they cared about it mm-hmm. because I would host the generic rock blocks mm-hmm. and Booker was doing 120 minutes. Yeah. And I think they just they let him go. So one day they handed me a stack of scripts with my MTV2 rock block stuff in it and then uh 120 minutes. So they didn't even tell me. They just handed me scripts. I was like, all right, we're doing the rock show. All right, rock show's done. All right, now we're doing 120 minutes. I was like, hold up. Like, am I the host of 120 minutes? So they didn't even tell. Like, I, I, you know, when you're younger, when you're in college, thinking that you are given the reins of 120 minutes, you think that they would bring in Robert Smith and Michael Stipe and say, we have a a great task for you. (laughs) We want you to host this fine program. But they handed me a stack of scripts and said, all right, you're going to do your video reads and... I had to actually scroll through the scripts and be like, whoa, this says 100. So I'm hosting 120 minutes now? And they're like, yeah.
1: That must have been really awesome in that moment of like, holy oh shit, I'm hosting 120 minutes. And for them to go, yeah. And then, and then the way it ended,
3: well, it eventually morphed into Subterranean. Mm-hmm. But they brought in Matt Pinfield and Dave Kendall, the man who started yeah. 120 minutes. And I thought that was cool. But I was all giddy. I was taking pictures. I had my handheld recorder. I was doing little side interviews with Matt Pinfield and Dave Kendall. And no one really seemed to care. I'm like, guys, this is the last 120 minutes. And they're like, yeah, well. But it was Kendall first. And then it
1: was Pinfield right after Dave?
3: Pinfield, no. There was uh, Lewis Largent did That's it. That's right, yeah. And I heard that he did an interview with... Um, What's his name? He plays in Queens of the Stone Age. Josh. Josh no, and he Nicole was in. A, no, oh crap. And he just Mark Lanigan. Mark Lanigan. Um, Screaming Trees. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. He did an interview with Screaming Trees, and Mark Lanigan wasn't giving full answers. And he worked in. And Lewis Largen worked behind the scenes too, mm-hmm. like in the music department. He's like, I, I don't need to do this anymore. So he was mm-hmm. like, that was that, that's it. I'm done. And when I saw Mark Lanigan years later, I asked him about it. I said, There's a rumor going around that it's because of you that Louis Largent quit 120 minutes. And he just, he didn't say anything and he gave me like a little smile. Like, I'm like, okay, there might be something to that. (laughs) I'd love to talk to that dude. I think he's great. The thing is, the first time I interviewed Mark Lanigan, uh, the music person came up to me who was working at MTV2, and they said, He doesn't talk a lot, but he. He talked in full sentences. Yeah. So I I was I was happy. I don't know if it was something I did or if he was in a good mood that day. It's always
1: I I don't know, it's always my thought was always if you're cool, I think people will just talk, you know? Like it's if you're not a dick about it or trying to If they sense like like a douchery vibe immediately, I think there's
2: something.
0: (laughs) If you're just like, I'm cool, it's not we're just not we're not gonna ask any dicky questions, it's gonna be cool. Yeah, I feel
2: like whenever I have to interview someone who I think is gonna be a dick, they turn out to be like Ryan Adams or something, they turn out to be totally nice. And everyone's like, oh, they're going to hang up on you. They're going to curse you out.
1: You have the hard job because you have to call people and do the phone thing. Yeah. See, at least with this stuff, people are scheduled. Management has been told. They're (laughs) there. They know they're going to be there. You're just like, they're probably pooping.
3: (laughs) Now, in the latter days of MTV2, we actually had a meeting where... They said, we don't want you to talk about music anymore. We want you to talk about social networking and video games and what uh, reality shows are into. So we had The Strokes scheduled to come in, and they wanted me to ask The Strokes about Jessica Simpson. And I was like, what? So it, it got to that point. Did you do it? I didn't. Yes. Yeah, and then, yeah. then Rise Against came in. And they said, okay, they're vegetarians. So we want you to ask them who they think are the hottest
1: vegetarians. And I was like, what? It's, it's a tale as old as time. When I was at VH1, this was 10 years ago at VH1. I was working in Los Angeles and they said, okay, Winona Ryder is on trial for shoplifting. Go cover it. And I went, why? Why? <laughs> what does that have to do with music aside from the fact she's banged most of the people who are involved (laughs) in indie rock bands yeah and i didn't say and that's crass and what i said was even worse and (laughs) and then fast forward to me being in a meeting with one of the one of the like vps or gms of vh1 and i I literally went what the fuck was all that about With on a writer he went you didn't like that huh and i went no and he went that was my call and I said, well, as long as the foot's in my mouth, I'm not going to stop at the heel. Why would you do that? <laughs> and, this, and then this guy went on to create Flavor of Love and Rock of Love and all these shows. And that was like, he knew where it was going. And I didn't see it because in my heart and what counts as a soul like doesn't like I couldn't I couldn't fathom. That's where people's interests would lie. But yeah, and the, the thing it is,
3: that's fine. Like, if that's going to make you money, but that's yeah. not me. Yeah. So if you want me to ask that question, then get someone else to ask the question. Yeah. And I'm fine with, you know. I agree. Not asking that question. And the thing I hate the most in the business is when they come up to you and they say, you have to ask this question and you have to read the script verbatim. And I'm like, what if there's something in there that I don't like or a word that I would never use? Yes. Yes. Because I was on a shoot once where there was a kid who was literally out of college. They signed him up to do a, write, a writing gig. And I think he was doing a writing gig because he was friends with the producer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he came up to me with the script. And he's like, all right, I need you to say this. And I need you to do that. And I really need you to hit this point. I'm like, dude, I've been working. And I, at that point, I've been working in the business seven or eight years. I'm like, I've been doing this for eight years and you're just out of college. I'm like, there's no way in hell you're going to tell me what to say.
1: And then you punched him in the jaw. I wanted to. (laughs) See, that's very nice. I'd be much more passive aggressive about that and probably make them feel bad about themselves and leave crying. (laughs) Not that I'd ever done that. So what I usually do is I'll say what I want to say. And then
3: after the shoot's done, I'll be like, here's why I didn't say what you wanted me to say. So I, I do try to communicate because in this business of communications, we don't always communicate.
1: That's a very good point. And it, it, it's so interesting. As, as, see, when we did the rock show on Fuse, as you did rock blocks on MTV2, uh, I w- decided, what if I hire someone who talks like me? And then Jonah came in. <laughs> so we didn't have to worry about anything. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. And it made so much more sense and it was so much easier. Um, it, it, it is hard when. I'll get emails or tweets now. People going, "Oh man, that show is so great. I loved it." And I would have to say I didn't pick any of those videos nor really write the scripts. And then I'd look back going, "Fuck, what did I do? Did I do Did I bring <laughs> well, in anything?" You had
2: you got you had like one video you would pick.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was your pick. Yeah, and then and, and it was always I heard that in in the well, We video, used to pick it after a while, I think. We were yeah. like, "What
0: Steven's pick this week?" We'd yeah. pick
1: it sometimes. Yeah,
3: and... but no, you were good. Because I watched. I watch every VJ on TV because I like to know what's out there. And you can tell when someone doesn't know their music. And I used to watch you before I met you. And I was like, oh, well, okay. It's pretty good. And then I met you, and then I found out that you really know your music. And I'm like, I like Steven. He gets my seal of approval. I'm
1: down. Dude, I remember when I saw you on – this is going to be our gush moment because <laughs> I felt the same way when I watched – when I first saw you on MTV, two Because I was like, wow, someone who actually seems really nice and genuine – and and loves the music because I think other hosts when they had like Jancy and Booker especially Jancy I think she really knew her stuff and yeah. cared about the music. Um, the other guys I don't know it's just I don't know, a little too showy like you know if you come from radio I think there's yep. there's there's, there, there's a different vibe to it. And I've only met Booker once so I can't really talk um talk about how he worked or anything. But that was the vibe I got. You it was just all I got was honest sincerity you know, very genuine and you just smiled and you made me smile more. Whoa. Because <laughs> I was always very, you know, very, you know, sardonic and sarcastic and, you know, very cynical and that was just kind of how I am <laughs> and, you know, I'd watch it and it was translated through and then I would get, people would say, after an interview and I hated this, this was, and I want to see if you, if this ever happened to you, people would come up and go, so that interview with such and such. You hated those guys. And I'm like, no, I'm supposed to be objective. You're not supposed <laughs> to be able to tell that I did, in fact, loathe that you can, man. Wow. You can always
2: tell, though. I feel like Ugh. with you, like now, I don't think most people could, but I feel like I've seen it enough times, or like I feel like during the interview, you can because I feel like you get so excited if you're around someone you want to talk to, and not that you're sardonic around other people, but but it was just your you inner can, circle, like your right? Body
0: language. I think
1: that you and I would know, you would know, of course, because we know you. But yeah, oh, you could tell. You'd be like. And Mike, as the producer, would be in the in the IFB in my ear and go, this guy's a fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the most fun part about that. It was also saying
0: stuff to Steven and seeing how he actually would never, you would never, or you would laugh at a, on occasion and be like, some dude, it's in my ear, it's whatever. You know, you would just like,
1: but you would never really break
0: at all. I could say whatever. I'd be like, you know.
1: We also had this, and I don't know if you ran into this, but when we all worked together, if I flubbed and we were pre-taping it, it'd be like, ah, whatever, and we would just keep going. We never like reshot anything. When you did you have producers that were very meticulous that made you like redo stuff, if like a word changed, or if you No.
3: Fel- we no. were loose on the flubs. Yeah. Because I, I still can't go through a paragraph or a sentence without flubbing a word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm if I have to, if I had to be Ryan Seacrest, I couldn't be him. Me neither. Yeah. Cause there's stuff like he'll go through like lines and lines and lines of dialogue. I'm like, holy
1: crap, he hasn't flubbed once. No, they're great. I think you know, he's a robot though. He is
0: very robotic.
1: Yeah. Uh, he's, God, you know, bless that dude. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he is, and he knows yeah. what he wants to. I do blame him for a lot of the crappy reality TV. That's I blame him for putting a lot of things that that are lessening society, even though he's made a lot of money on it. And I've met him, and he's really nice and really cool, and a great host. Like he's yeah. just he just he's good at what he does. He's great for American Idol. Yeah, perfect for yep. that show. Awesome. Okay, when you and I first met, this was at in New Orleans.
3: We met before that.
1: Where? We met at
3: a pre-concert party, and the concert was OK Go and Adonis. <gasps> shows, mu- shows how much you care, what? Steven. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: No, because I may have been <laughs> drunk. So that doesn't so, count. It was before the concert. <laughs> no, so unless when? you came drunk who, to who the free party. Now, who introduced us? Dan Schweitzer. Oh, fuck. That's right. <laughs> uh, Damn it. I and forgot. And it was on
3: that night where I I was kind Because I knew who you were. Damn. And I was roommates with Dan. Yeah. And I was going to... I think I knew you were coming. I was like, I'm going to pick his brain just to make sure he knows his music. And then I, I asked him questions. <laughs> you do the
1: same dicky move I do to other people. Yeah, I just true. ask him
3: questions. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. He He does know his music because if he didn't, he would have broken my heart. <laughs> but if you didn't know your music, you would have been a great actor because on TV, it seems like you really care about music. So it
1: was on that night. Unless I'm interviewing a band, I can't stand. I told I, you know what. I apologize. Forgive me. For, I forgot the it's Dan okay, connection. It's okay. It's okay. Dan was a, a PA on Fuse uh, when it was Much Music USA, and he was great and got let go under dubious circumstances. Yeah. Um. Not his dubious. The way they handled it was yeah. crappy. He was fine. I was actually very irked when they let him because I liked him a lot. And you guys were friends from Pittsburgh from high school. Uh, okay, going the Donnas. Wow, that's a long time long ago. Long time ago. Huh. Why did I not remember that?
3: And randomly going off track, uh, I had <laughs> a I had a book in my book bag, and I didn't feel like carrying my book bag during the show, so I threw it in the corner, thinking who would want a book bag? They didn't steal the book bag, but they stole the book inside. And which book was it? It was a it was a Rolling Stone book of like different articles and interviews from Rolling Stone magazine. That I, I And I only got the book because it was like $5 at Barnes & Noble, but someone stole the book. I don't know why I remember that, but that was the night I met you. you know, Maybe there, that's why I remember it.
1: There was a rash of thieves at OK Go shows, because your book is now OK Gone. Yeah. Um, wow, the Donna's in OK Go. I remember that show now. Was it at Irving Plaza? It was indeed. Yeah. See, I remember that part. Okay. Crap.
3: But then the second
1: interaction was obviously in the New second. Orleans. New Orleans, Yes which was you were doing all kinds of MTV, MTV2 stuff with uh, Denise Karicki, I believe, yes. was the producer. She was the second producer I ever worked with, good friend of Mike's. She's and we were, you were really, you were getting ready to interview the Beastie Boys, and I think you were just nervous as all hell. Cause I think it was, the, fir- was it the first time? Second. Second. No, third. Third. Ugh. Third time. How was that interviewing your favorite band?
3: Whew! It's... You do get nervous, and you tell yourself you're not going to get nervous. And there's a few bands that do it to me still. Because I remember we had Radiohead coming in Mm. for Subterranean, and I just like pumped myself up. I'm like, come on, they're Radiohead, and they're not even rocking anymore. They're doing experimental stuff. You shouldn't be intimidated by them. And then as soon as they came in, I was like, holy crap. yeah. I was listening to you in college,
1: and I thought you were so (laughs) – and
3: like, there's still a few bands that do it to me, and the Beastie Boys still do. And Mm. I've met them a handful of times, too. I don't know what it is. How
1: about when they go, oh, hey, Jim, how are you?
3: See, I don't know if they've used my name. <laughs> yeah. <I believe laughs> but, just, but just them, like, because when I see them, like, if I was walking down the street now and bumped into one of them, they would know me. Mm-hmm. And just that would blow my mind. They wouldn't even have to remember my name. Right.
1: I interviewed them once. Mike, was that you? It was you, right? What? Bonaru. did we interview Beastie Boys?
3: Mm, no. That was their last live performance. No, it wasn't that bad. Was Bonnaroo it? Yeah. Interview.
1: Huh. Well, I watched that. Um, sound was awful. I felt bad. Um, but I mean, they sounded good. It was just the, the right. we were up front. Um, they never ceased to make me laugh because they. I don't think they've ever taken any interview seriously, which is great because they're not <laughs> serious. And I said, "How do you guys feel about being here at Bonnaroo? It doesn't seem kind of like a venue you would play." And MCA, without blinking, went. Beastie Boys have always been about hygiene. <laughs> And that's all I remember from the interview, because I was laughing so hard after that that I couldn't focus on anything else. It was beautiful. That was their last show. I had no no idea.
3: Last live performance. Wow. Can we go into some hardcore VJ talk?
1: Yes, we have all to. All right. Do it, do it. Let's get
3: focused now. Yeah. Because this profession, it's dying. It is. Now, I have to thank you, because I believe the only reason I have a job on the VH1 Top 20 Video Countdown, is because you turned it down. Uh, is that correct?
1: Uh, no. Well, okay. When I was <laughs> at Fuse, and I got offered the job to do Top 20.
3: And they were going to take you.
1: And they were going to take me. They were going to hire me. Because
3: I, I also know people who work for the show. And they're like, Stephen, we we auditioned Stephen.
1: He's on. He's in. We're going to hire him. And then what happened? I, I snuck in. And uh, literally, I had to sneak into the building because Fuse was weird about that. And I was, it was done. It was going to happen. You were going to be it. Fuse in one of their many changeovers had hired, had a a, a great new GM who now runs IFC and is responsible for all the great programming at IFC. She was running Fuse. She was a big fan of mine and said, no, don't go and and did a counter offer, which we were not expecting. And it was for uh, more money, like health insurance, you know, important things and uh, EP credit on the rock show. Like I got to like make decisions and do things, which was nice. Uh, and I had like one of the worst weekends of my life trying to go back and forth. What was going to happen? Like, like what should I do? And ultimately decided to stay at fuse for two more years and uh, took the dough, took the credit, did more fun stuff. That GM immediately got replaced and moved to back to IFC. And they brought in, you know, some other uh, nightmare Uh, who was there, and then it was just awkward. Then I was like, oh, well, whatever. Well, I'm still locked into a contract. It'll be cool. One of the hosts on Fuse, who I had helped hire, was a young girl named Allison Becker, who was a comedian in in, in improv comic. Very funny. We did a show called Fuse Action News. Mm -hmm. And she came in to meet with us, and the EP of that show and I went, well, she's awesome. Let's just hire her, because we wanted to do, we wanted to have a a guy and a girl, funny daily show type co anchor thing, make fun of music show didn't go anywhere it turned into a huge freaking nightmare but they liked allison so they kept giving her shows at fuse which was great she knew nothing about music admittedly so (laughs) she'd be like i don't know what's going on i don't know these bands but they turned her show into kind of a joke where she would dress up in costumes and run out and do things and she was very nice about it uh she got hired at vh1 Yep. i don't know who they met how they got it but they brought her in and even on when she did top 20 Self-admittedly, I don't know anything about bands. (laughs) Let's do funny stuff. And then I heard she was gone and they hired you. Yes. When I turned down that, I said, just hire Jim. Because I'd known from talking to you, your contract was up at MTV2 or or coming near. And I said, he's already part of the Viacom family. Just bring him over. He's awesome. You should do it. And I like to say that two years later, they listened to me. (laughs) (laughs) Now... How long
3: have you been off of fuse? Since... I'm sorry to turn this interview around on you, but oh no, it's no, it's, it's... it's
1: natural, it's habit. No, it's so funny. <laughs> we we had you know Julie Klausner has her own podcast on as well, and you just naturally <laughs> turn to questions. Uh, we the rock show was canceled in 2008, which was uh, a day of drunken fun uh, between the three of us and uh <laughs> the day of the christmas party yeah it was the day wow. we had to, they fired us and then we all had to go to the christmas party yeah. and mark went angrily jonathan show up which was even better no, it was I, like a I mob there I, you, yeah. there. I think did
2: meet at the bar after you just met us at i remember the i had at the bar after, I did yeah. film a promo steven would always put me in the promos and i had to do this one they were like you kind of look like bob dylan you need to go out <laughs> no, outside and do this <laughs> thing and i was like it was with the cards like the subterranean yeah and uh i then they canceled the show that morning and then they're like are you ready to shoot this and i was like i'm not doing it and they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, show just got canceled. Like, I just got fired. Like, I'm not going to go do this thing for free. And they they were like, we'll give you your day rate right to do it again. Like, we'll give you your day rate right twice. And I was like, part of me wanted to be like, no, I want to stick to my guns. I just got fucked over. And part of me was like, I kind of need the money. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I did it. So that happened in 2008. And yeah. then I hung out for, my contract was up in t- early 2009. And then they decided to just go to day players. And so I just kept doing shows and doing shows until they finally just stopped using me in late 2009, I actually got, I got let go permanently the week we bought our house. Awesome. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well timed. So December 2009 was the last time I was on Fuse, so almost three years. See, it was like a curse though, because
3: I remember we're having a talk with you and you said that you then met with MTV. Yeah. And they said,
1: well, we don't want you because you're the Fuse guy. Yeah. And uh, VH1 at the time too. Wow. Yeah, because they see, would,
3: isn't that crazy too? Because if you, you want to have a job, but if you're at the job too long, then you can't get another job. Mm-hmm.
1: For years, they're like you're you're too identifiable with Fuse. But then this was, and then to the reverse of that, here's my question to you: When did your when did you end at MTV? Two thousand seven, two thousand seven, and then where did you go? IFC. i uh, see how this all wraps around. <laughs> so you were hired at IFC by uh, this woman, Jen. Who's still at IFC. She loved you. She was the one who like counted the whole offer for me at VH, for VH1. See how this is connected. Wow. She, she liked both of us. She loved us. So she wanted, so she, you, she were hired to do, what was the blog? Indie Ear. Indie Ear. Indie Ear. And then we had you come on Fuse, the, the show The well you,
3: well, you had your weekend
1: of the weddings or the summer of the weddings where you Listen. both attended weddings and had one of your own oh yes yes well this before that we had um you came on to be interviewed and it was like the first time you and i were ever on camera together
3: yeah yes that, that show was called the sauce
1: the sauce yeah and, and you completely railroaded the interview i was supposed to talk to jim about this blog for ifc let's talk about the blog and you went can we pause for a second it has been years coming that you and i would actually meet on camera so let's shake hands and you stood up and did this dramatic it was like event. flair and hogan it was exactly like not to compare myself to either (laughs) flair or hogan but (laughs) i think we compare ourselves to them now Okay. (laughs) (laughs) years ago chris jericho gave me a north carolina chop no wow almost made me throw up all right i'm
3: gonna get you on track Mm. do you watch fuse anymore no no not since see the thing that boggled my mind is that i think it was a year or two ago or two years ago Fuse was like all right let's get into serious music again mm-hmm. and they're bringing in these serious journalists mm-hmm. i'm like well, why don't you get Stephen? because he's serious into music and people identify with him. and i'm sure a lot of the kids who grew up on the rock show would be like yeah steven's back so they never contacted you no. when they went for their serious music push
1: no and i think that's literally all the new people they hired in because they go through a revolving door of executives just didn't know who i was if you go on the website, if you went on the website six months ago, you could still find the Untitled Rock Show. You could still find things about me on Fuse. They just did a revamp. Now it's, we've been erased, you know, <laughs> except for YouTube, you know? So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's been done. And since then we've, I've been bouncing around auditioning and being a dad and, and doing this, which is way fun. You then went, you were not on part of the Viacom family at all. You were at IFC. Yes. What, how did Top 20 happen? an
3: email with three different fonts which made me question its legitimacy because <laughs> usually if you get a call for a gig mm-hmm. you know be like hey we're so-and-so and you know we want you to come in for a read mm-hmm. i got an email that said hey would you be interested in hosting the top 20 and at that point i was toiling away in blog world mm-hmm. i was like "Ooh, i'm under contract with ISC." so i showed my con- i don't have a manager or anything either Maybe that will be a big pitfall of mine when I'm working at McDonald's next year. I'm like, crap, I could have made a lot more money doing this. I don't know if I agree with you on that front. (laughs) Okay, all right, good then. Yeah, Because there's a good chance I could be working at McDonald's next year. (laughs) But anyway, I showed my IFC contract to a lawyer friend of mine, and she showed me a sentence. And she said, this sentence lets you do the VH1 gig. And it was like, I can do other stuff, but I can't be exclusive to anyone. So I told VH1, hey, I can't be exclusive, just so you know. And they're like, that's fine. And then I told IFC, and I don't think they were too happy with that. (laughs) But I could do it because of that little sentence in the contract.
1: Those little sentences are amazing. My favorite is when you sign a contract that says, you are locked in here for X number of years. And then in the middle of the contract says, but at any point in time, we can terminate without prejudice. Which means you're not locked in there for years. It's, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And then when I was at, and then Fuse had a deal, I could work anywhere else, just not music. And my, you know, my, my scope was so limiting. I'm like, well, what am I going to do anywhere else? I don't know anything. <laughs> don't, there's no bands, you know, it's not a comic book
3: network or wrestling. <laughs> And I've been doing this for 10 years, and the contracts are still like that. Yeah. And last time I was up for a new contract, I tried to renegotiate that. Mm-hmm. I said, just give me two years. Yeah. Two straight years. I'm like, we can't do that. I'm like, come on! I'm like, I'm going to show up to work. I'm not going to flake on you. They're like, no. Yeah. Because uh, for MTV2, it was a, a three-year deal where they could get rid of me every year. hmm So you kind of have to book three years of your life to them, but you could be unemployed in a year's time.
1: When I did VH1... I was on a 13-week option period. Whoa. That was my contract. And at the time, had a manager who's a douche. Um, who? That's why I've never had one. Yeah, Because I, I couldn't find one that's not douchey. All douchey, all douchey. I mean, when I met him, he said, at some point, we're going to sue each other. Oh, no, we're not. He didn't say that. That was the look I gave me. Yeah, we fucking ended up suing each other like a few (laughs) years later was awful. And I had an agent who did nothing. So when I first started VH one, 20% of all the money I was making was going to two other people. And I was still substitute teaching while hosting for a major network. Well, cable network pay cable. Um, so contracts are ridiculous. So I was at VH one 13 week option period at the end of 13 weeks. We decide we, are we going to keep you again or not? So the second 13 weeks, they said, we're going to keep you around and do this. At the end of that 13 weeks, I was literally flying home from a shoot where I'd interviewed the Goo Goo Dolls. No wait. It gets better. Opening act, Third Eye Blind, who were terrible, who I actually kind of liked. Opening act for that, Vanessa Carlton, weird shed tour. I'm in the car. I get this phone call and I look at the phone and before I even answer, I was like, they're going to fire me <laughs> <laughs> and open it up. They're like, we're not picking up the option. I was like, I know in the car. Heading home. I was like, I knew exactly what was going to happen. So you're still in that world of you're locked into something
3: still in the world. That's all right. It's but good. happy
1: to be employed. Yeah, dude. It's great. Gigs, gigs are good. So you've been doing VH1 top 20 for how long now?
3: This is my fourth year. That's so amazing. I love it. Question for you. Yes. Looking back, mm-hmm. would you have done the VH1
1: gig? Yeah, definitely. Because it's because that kind of consistency with contracts works. Fuse stopped doing contracts and no hosted Fuse is contracted now. It's all day player. So if you work there, it's just like, we need you for this and then you'll get paid for that. There's no paperwork signed or anything. It's all freelance.
3: Can I give you one of my pet peeves in the business? Uh, I hate when there's red carpet shows or important shows in the business. A lot of time at the VMAs, there is a a pre-show, a post-show, an after-show, whatever, and they will get snooky or (laughs) the hottest Pop-Tart at the moment to host. And it's almost an insult to me because I'm like, I'm a host. That's what I do. And during the biggest night of the year, who do you get? You get someone who has never hosted before.
1: Oh, completely. It's 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 and it that, seems like it happens all the time. It, and it happens everywhere. How do you feel about going to? Uh, you know, you, you watch some movie and it's this week's hip hop star is in the film. It's like that's Samuel L. Jackson said. All these musical artists who want to be actors. That's taking jobs away from people who've trained to be actors. So yeah, I totally agree with you as a host and and seeing those shows on Fuse where they do get a lot of guests where they have sexiest 100 countdown or somewhere and they, and they hire somebody. So is this
3: even a craft then?
1: Yeah, because how many people can't do it? When I when I first started, our, our friend Amer Halim, mm-hmm. uh, who is now a morning show host for a cable, for a cable, for a Canadian morning show in Vancouver, when I first met him, I didn't know what I was doing and he kind of like took me under his wing and was like, Like literally stand like this, hold the mic in this hand. Like this will open you up to talking to guests. Stupid little tricks you never know. Like when I first had an IFB in my ear, I lied. Like you used this before? I'm like, yeah, all the time. (laughs) Someone's talking to me. This is fantastic. (laughs) This is like Star Wars. (laughs) How I? That's the voice in my head. And Amir said, if people say what we do is easy, then we're doing our job right. Because it's really that's one like well I watch a host all the time. Like I was watching the Today Show yesterday and I literally said, Who who let Matt Lauer wear that jacket? <laughs> <laughs> because on those kind of shows they're responsible for their own wardrobe. Really? Oh yeah. Today show, wow. morning news, they have to handle their own wardrobe. And he was wearing a plaid jacket. So Mike Kanjemi, People's Producer, if you're wearing a plaid jacket, what does that do when the camera sees it?
0: It's not very good for the camera. It's like no. wearing the white pinstripe thing or, you know... Yeah,
1: yeah, it, yeah. it the term... It morays. Yeah, morays. Yeah. Morays like a bitch. And so it looks like moving graph paper it's and terrible. anyone can see it. Yeah, I can't believe they would actually let him do that. Well, it's actually Matt Lauer. He's probably like, I will wear this coat and nothing else. <laughs> and you will love it. Yeah. But yeah, the... the I never consider myself a VJ because... I mean, MTV coined that phrase. Right. I mean, that could legally use it at Fuse. Uh, really? But I was like, I don't know. Yeah. You know there's no <laughs> idea. But uh, yes, <laughs> we got in such a legal fight between Viacom and Cablevision. It was ugly. <laughs> Nick's jerseys were thrown. Um, it, uh, I was looked at as being a host. I like that term better. But I love the, what do they call it in England? In England? Yeah. This is the best term ever. This is professional. I don't know. Presenting. Whoa, presenter! You are you are a presenter. Wow! And you hear Russell Brand talk about I was hired as a presenter, and that's that's what you would like. And I love that. That sounds actually kind of classy. We are presenting videos for you today. Today I have an interview. That I like to present to you the guests and you you the audience. You you the viewers at home. See, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Even with
3: award shows, sometimes I wish they would get a host. To host an award show, I agree. Because a lot of times they fall flat on their face. Mm-hmm. Now, just to give everyone an example out there, Game Seven of the World Series, team up by one. Would they pull me out of the bullpen, who's never pitched a game of Major League Baseball in my life? No, that would be stupid. But they do it all the time in our in our field. But that would be the basis for a Disney film. I would
1: go <laughs> see.
2: Yeah. I
3: also could. It could be you. Could
0: have been awesome, possibly. They just like randomly you'd confuse everybody.
1: I don't know. No, this is this is a conversation that I've had with Amir and other hosts all the world. It It's very frustrating to know that that is your job, and they want to get that a, a producer someone who's never done it before. A producer's first job is to think, or a network executive rather, not a producer is what'll rate better, who's hot, who can we get to do this? And some people are good, but it's like what it's it's so hard, you know. Like Mike, you've worked with people who've never hosted before.
0: Yeah, So it the hard. biggest
1: pain in the ass. It's really hard.
0: Yeah, it's hard to find someone who's not a host. You know what I mean? You know, when you're working with a host, it's it's like okay, this is why you're why we hire you. Because we're like hard.
3: the Grammys or the VMAs, it, is hard. it would like, probably be terrible uh, financially to get mere Stephen <laughs> to host one of those. <laughs> but I think after the proceedings, <laughs> they'd be like, "Wow, that
1: show really ran smoothly." Do you think they it would really does help? But though, yeah. do you think they would? Think while that ran smooth, or they would go. Who are these guys? Do you think they well, would? They look would at never.
3: How... They would never get us to do it in the first yeah, but place. But like, like,
1: like looking at your baseball analogy, there's, there's so many players. I know fuck all about sports. This analogy is going to go awry. There's a bunch of other players who aren't the pitcher, right? Right. <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah, yeah you're doing yeah. all right. They've right. been on the team for a while. Maybe they played in the minors. They got bumped up. I don't know who they are. Their baseball card, there's a lot available from Tops. There's only a couple for the pitcher. How am I doing? So we don't care. The coach isn't caring too much about the people in the other positions. They're thinking about, you know, the, the big major players. So the people watching the game, all they're focusing on is the main guy. Right. So you and I, we're, we're the pinch hitters. We're the people they know they can get. We, the majority of j- shows I ended up hosting on Fuse except for the Rock show except for the rock show and maybe the first show imx that i hosted there i got because they couldn't get anyone else to host and they <laughs> told me we're looking for other people can you just do it until we get this other person i was even asked to host until the guy they brought in can you just help him learn the ropes and then you'll leave and he'll take over like they told that to my face and at the time i was immature and i was like no he figured the fuck out i was so rude to this dude and it wasn't even his fault you know he was psyched to get hired and he was a great guy he's really nice his name's dylan lane he's awesome he's actually really cool and a really good host (laughs) he ended up being a he's like he did a game show host for the game show network and he's amazing he's so cool and so nice but it was one of those awkward things where you are kind of you know put by the wayside so
3: and like you said at the beginning, maybe we do live in a fantasy world. Maybe everyone listening right now says, "Well, <laughs> I could easily do what they do," mm-hmm. and maybe what we do isn't that hard at all.
2: No, I d- I disagree because I feel like yes. when-, <laughs> <Thank you. Yes. laughs> when I was writing Steven, so Steven be like, "I don't know how you write these scripts," like and all these questions. I was like, "Dude, this is easy. Like, I can barely even like talk to people in regular life. Like, oh, I, have- I have ten seconds. I have to look here because like, I was a guest on a couple of shows on Fuse, and it was like." nerve-wracking I was like it's such a specialized set of skills I feel so few people can really do it
0: I agree with Jonah that the the hosting is definitely something that like people don't get that if if you're not in it like it's really really like specific and it's really hard like for Stephen I've seen a lot of like things that could have gone completely awry like we did um (laughs) we did that remember that interview with Tim Oliphant we did at Spark Steakhouse. Oh yeah, that was great. Tim and Tim Oliphant's awesome. You know, he was doing. I think it was press for that movie Hitman, mm-hmm. and he came in. I didn't really know. We were doing. We we're going to have you guys eat steaks and drink wine, and I was like, let's see what happens.
1: Yeah, because that's where your brain goes. You're like, all right, <laughs> Hitman. We're going to eat steaks and drink wine. Where? Oh, I found a place where a guy was actually killed by a hitman and the mob out front. <laughs> that's why you chose that. Don't leave that out. I don't.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> we ended up, and I, as as we're shooting this, and I'm like, oh shit, a. I was like, oh, they're actually, dr- you guys are drinking wine. And B, I was like, they're eating steaks. I thought there was, you know, and I was like, this is going to be impossible to cut. And I don't know what's going to happen. And you guys ended up, he was like, right off the bat, Stephen was trying to do reads. And he was pushing you out of your chair. And like, literally, they were just having fun or whatever. But I was like, this could go really wrong. And it ends up, you guys like totally hit it off. You were It was a it was a complete battle. Like, you were telling him about your band, your uh your band name, Oedipus Rex and the Motherfuckers.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. And he's
0: like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it was actually became the greatest. Like, it was just YouTube battling it out, but it was like, it, it just became the best. I, one of my
1: favorite interviews I think I've ever uh, seen. That's it's, 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 it's the lead on my reel. Is, is he, it really? he leaned over and grabbed the cards. Now, let me ask you this. He, to- he took he your took cards. cards. <laughs> for <laughs> years, awesome. for yeah. years at Fuse, yeah. and even at VH1, I would never use cards. I, I didn't want them. I didn't want any questions. I would always take the scripts and hide them behind me because I just didn't like. How that looked, hated it. Yeah, I hated it. Yeah. We had a producer uh, before Mike who came from Letterman, and he now works at Jimmy Fallon. So anyway, so this guy right, he worked on Letterman. He worked on Carson Daly's show. A lot of people worked with Carson that we know, and he was shocked. He's like, "You don't use the blue cards?" And I went, "Nah, I just I've never been into it." And he went, "It's kind of industry standard. Like, look, I want you like think about it. Look," and and I thought about it. I went and looked back at old Letterman stuff and looked back at old Conan stuff, and I realized that. I had always been using them, but because I was cheating, I would hide them behind me. i look at the questions, then I'd put it away, right. put it in my pocket. You know, If you look at Conan, you look at Letterman, they're there. They're on the table. Right. So we can't see them, but they're there. So in a sense, I, w- I was doing the same thing. Do you do you still do that? Do you do you want to? No cards.
3: No cards. No cards. Right on. I did a special with the Beastie Boys when they released Two to the Five Burrows, and I had jumped over to MTV for the day. Mm-hmm. And they said, here, we want you to have a card. And I said, why? And they're like, because you're going to ask them a question to lead off the show. And I said, it's just one question? They're like, yeah. I'm like, I'm fine. I'll remember that. They're like, no, we want you to have the card. I said, I don't want the card. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I-, I can ask them 20 questions and I'll remember. And like, no, take the card. So like, oh, my gosh. So it was the first time. Wow. And I think maybe the only time, one of the only times that I've had a card, unless I have to do like a marketing read or something. Yeah. Uh, so I bring the card on, the Beastie Boys come onto the stage, and what's the first thing they do? Mike D comes and grabs for the card, and makes like, I'm like, oh gosh, so then I just took it and whirled it off stage, and I was like, come on, that would have never happened, I would have had ten more seconds with the Beastie Boys if I didn't need the freaking card. Good for you. Yeah. So what I, yeah, but what I do is I'll like, I'll read my questions and stick them under my butt when we're doing the interview.
1: I I still find... Questions and cards, like in yeah, different places right. that I've hidden all over the place. <laughs> um, and how about the, getting knee deep into what we do? Uh, timing. This this is something that that I, that I that I love, and that I've heard. I've heard one Carson Daly is exceptional at it. He has to be. That when people go, all right, um, you're going to talk to the band about a minute and thirty. Go.
3: Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. How we have a clock in our head. Yeah, because sometimes the worst is when we get a script and they said this has to be 30 seconds and I look it over I'm like dude, this is like a minute and 45 and because you, you go you didn't read this out loud Did you and like, well then no then they said oh well we read it out loud and I'm like no you didn't No, they didn't <laughs> no. And
0: It became like a game to us. It was mind-blowing how you were like you would be like boom I'd be like we literally 10 seconds. You have to wrap this up and give us an out and you'd be like,
1: okay That's a fun <laughs> relationship yeah. that Jim also has because we worked with all the same stage manager, right? <laughs> And when you get a relationship with a good stage manager, uh, who have all gone on to, like, Rachel Ray and and, and Dr. Oz and all these great things, um, you know that you can just fuck around until they give you 10 seconds, and then you know <laughs> in your head, I'll get it all out. Right. We'll be done by 10. Right. It was astounding to me. I was like, wow, we did. That was it. How did you <laughs> learn how
0: to
3: do that? I think it just came with time. Mm-hmm. When people giving you know, people handing over a script and saying, Hey, this needs to be thirty seconds, and then you're like, Well, a paragraph, a fat paragraph is usually thirty seconds. Anything longer than that is you're not gonna get your business
1: in. You wanna know where I learned it? Where? VH one top twenty. Whoa. I filled in for Amir Halim ten years ago. Wow. Um so yeah, it was like it was literally again, I guess how you would say forced upon me to learn how to think with a clock in your head. All shit people don't know. Have you ever done a game show? Have you ever hosted one? Or? No.
3: Just like game shows within MTV2, you know? Yeah. Where like sometimes you'll have like a, a game show segment, but not no official game show. Can, can I, uh, I know you guys are running out of time. Just one more question for all of you.
1: Wow. This is way more professional yeah. than we ever do it. Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> worst interview.
1: Oh, God. dude! This worst interview. There's so many. Um, or one of the worst
3: that you, would make the best story.
1: Are you leading up to what I think you're leading up to?
3: What? Well, no, I know um, you. there's someone you refer to as the C word. Oh, yeah. And that yeah, doesn't yeah. have
1: to be the worst. You no, might have no. one worse than that. That wasn't the worst, but God, that's such... A, and the funny thing about it is, is that certain gentleman, which may or may not be revealed in the next few seconds, he's... It wasn't just me. It was a number of people over a number of different networks, people I've met randomly who I, they would say, oh, well, who's the worst person you've interviewed? And they all said the same guy.
3: Now, because of this person, I think it's cool if we don't even mention him. Yeah, I think we I don't Because it's, it's, it's building up this mystery. Yeah. When I interviewed this person for the first time, I know you had told me about this person. You sent me a text with a picture. I, I took a picture, a, chica, a cheekily done picture yeah. of me with my thumbs up with a big grin on my face. Yeah. And because he was so mean to you, there was no pressure for the interview because I'm like, if he's a jerk to me, like I'm expecting it. Yeah. So the interview went fine. I've met him two times since. Both interviews have gone fine. Oh, that's good. So because of your experience, the pressure's off when I interview him. I expect him to be the biggest jerk in the world, and he hasn't been. And the worst thing was, when I interviewed said person... Uh, Who you refer to as the C-word in your official bio, I think.
1: <laughs> oh, see, someone put that in there. Someone put that on <laughs> Wikipedia and then got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, cause it got back to his management and whatever. Uh, uh um, <laughs> call one guy, a cunt and you have to deal with it the rest of your life. Um, but I've called so many. Um, when I interviewed him, a number of producers said, Hey, can you do me a favor before the interview? Can you punch him in the face as hard as possible? I'm like, wait, what? So I knew like going in, like something was up like that. And I heard from other hosts, not on VH1, not on MTV, like other like people in L.A. going, he's just awful. I love that we're not saying the name. I think this is Yeah, fantastic. no, this is
3: good. This is great. Do some digging, kids.
1: Yeah, figure it out. Um, Drop a hint of some sort.
3: All right, here's your worst interview. Mine was Block Party. Oh! And they're not even that big of a band. No, i And I've
1: bumped into bands since, and they said, oh, no, they're really cool guys. Yeah, they're... I've, I interviewed him, and I can see... I have interviewed Block Party, and it was weird... I'm a big fan of theirs, but it was weird because at the time I wasn't a fan. I just heard them peripherally, and I had a question about lyrics to a song, but I didn't really know the song. (laughs) They're like, well, what do you think it's about? And it was the song Helicopter, and I went, I think it's about literal helicopters like actual (laughs) army planes. (laughs) And then it just kind of went
3: away from there. No, they every question I asked them on air, they would snicker at oh uh, yeah kind of and they're all English or so like it even made it more more annoying for some reason <laughs> and then off camera I would ask them questions and they would snicker at me like uh-huh. in between takes and I was like ooh like you want to go there don't you <laughs> and I've never been mean to anyone on air and I thought to myself this could be like my internet moment where I like beat up a band <laughs> Because all of them were very, very like skinny and dainty. Yeah. And at the time I was like, I was in shape. (laughs) I thought I could beat all four of you up. And I didn't. And that was the The reason I didn't like it is because if you want to laugh at me on camera, that's fine. You can do whatever you want on camera Mm. because that's how you present yourself. You're, you know, you're a business, you're a brand. So that's, if that's how you want to present yourself to the people, that's how you do it. But when you laugh to me off camera, that's when I take offense to it. Uh, so they were my they were my worst interview
1: that would have been the greatest YouTube clip ever of Jim Shearer beating the crap out of <laughs> block, block party because <laughs> I know you could do it and by the way you're in great shape now you make me sick I think I was in better uh, shape back then <laughs> I know I was in better shape back then uh, you could have taken them
3: that
0: would have been amazing
2: <laughs> um, what's yours?
0: I I don't know if we're like worse well, one of them was they said for a while for a for the sauce I was doing carpets when the host couldn't be there so I was just doing like off camera interviews and stuff so I did I did carpets and junkets which was weird for me because I'm not a journalist. So I did, um, the I Am Legend carpet, which there's one, one person in the movie. It's w- uh, Will Smith. And, uh, the worst part of it was when I was like, hey, Will, it's for first few. And he just walked away. Uh, so that was the one where I was like, great. I didn't get the m- one person in the movie. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know who all you other people are on this carpet, but I just that was Will Smith. Right. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so. All right. That was pretty shitty. That one went pretty bad. And then he kind of did that thing where he came back over because he felt bad and didn't talk to much people. And then everyone just swarmed around like he did one circle interview. And I was like, you know what? We'll just get your footage. Who is that person? I'm going to just ask. They're not, It was the worst, best interview, I think, is when they sent me to do my first ever interview for Real Sit Down. It was at a junket, which a lot of people don't get. Like, it's four minutes and you're out. So it's like you have to get your interview. And they're like, no big deal. It's Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. Did I mm-hmm. tell you guys this? story yes, or no? a great one. Where they, Yeah, Where they, like, just tooled on me for four minutes. But it was, like, in the greatest way where I walked in. And I think at that point, I still might have had, like, the slick mohawk thing. And I didn't know... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look like a guy who was coming in. Like, you know, there's real journalists right. all there. And it was American Gangster. It was Ridley Scott. It was the same day. It was like, I was freaking out. And it was like, in the same room was Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington. And I was like, this will be easy. And I had like a bandage on my arm. I think I, because I, whatever. Whatever. Uh, I had like got an drunk
1: ex- and hit something. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <I've,
0: laughs> uh, so I walked in, and I shook their hands and I was like, hey. And then uh, immediately Denzel Washington goes and I'm they're like, four minutes, sit down. Where are you from? And it's like really stressful. You know, you're like, OK, hey. And you're trying to like establish something. And Denzel Washington's like, so what happened? And I was like, I fell. And he's like, were you drinking? You, you were totally drinking. And then I was like, I, no. And then uh, Russell Crowe chimes in. And it was like they were being really, they were just having a blast fucking with me and I was like no 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 and he's like you look like a drinker you know blah 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 and next thing he goes to the tattoos he's like what's that tattoo there mate and I was like oh it's Frankenstein look at that he's like you should get some bolts stuck in your fucking head and I was like (laughs) this is going so bad I'm gonna (laughs) fucking and I remember actually I have the footage where I'm like this is great guys I'm gonna get fired (laughs) and then they actually got me an extra four minutes they they tooled on me for like I mean the whole time they were just like fucking with me and then it ended up being an awesome interview they gave me an extra four minutes the lady was like okay here we go again
1: <laughs>
0: it was my first i was like i just sat there and got tooled on for like you know i don't know but i was kind of the worst best because it got me right into it and then after that i had to go do ridley scott and i was like Ugh, and it was great it was everything worked after that after that i was like ready for anything that's badass yeah that's what are you
2: worst mine is actually someone who we're friends with now who i totally back but uh when i worked at ap my first cover not my first one of my first covers was no first interview in seven years when they came back and uh they were like my favorite band and I was like probably like 22 or something and they flew me to Fats offices and we sat down and it was the whole band except El Jefe because he missed his flight but but, I don't know but uh (laughs) I was so nervous and I was like remember I was sweating when we went in there and I was like all right you guys haven't done interviews so long so like what was it like when like Green Day and the Offspring were exploding but you know you guys stayed underground and all this stuff in fact Mike just looked at me he's like These questions remind us why we stopped doing interviews for seven years. And I was, like, so bummed. I was like, ugh. (laughs) And it ended up turning out okay. Like, the issue was one of the worst-selling issues, I guess, because people were so... We parodied that Entertainment Weekly Dixie Chicks cover where they were naked with stuff written on them. But, like, no one got it, so all these parents were writing into AP, like, you sent us a magazine with four naked, middle-aged guys on the cover, like, we want our money. Like, it was this crazy thing, and, um... The interview turned out fine, and I and knowing those dudes now, I know that's just their sense of humor. But I was so young and like impressionable at that point that it totally like threw me off, and I was already like just pushed me over the edge. And I can laugh about it now, but at the time it was like crushing. Wow.
1: See, I always have moments where I wish I had gotten the joke, and I know the person's going to be cool, but I just feel stupid. Exactly. Do you remember when we had Ian Asprey come on? Yes. Ian Asbury came on and at this point the rock show had this like this haphazard set with like a, a plastic gnome and we had a Kurt Cobain um uh no wait it was a Joey Ramone doll no it was Kurt Cobain we had a Kurt Cobain Todd McFarlane action figure just standing there on the set for some reason and Ian Asbury comes in and goes Oh, who's that Joey Ramone and I went no it's Kurt Cobain and he went I know who it is <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like England funny hi and I went well now i'm a dipshit <laughs> and then i'm mad at myself for not getting it was like we had we had we had um on the on one of the shows the sauce we had nick frost and um his his the other guy uh simon Pegg came on you know they did yeah they did yeah, call, yeah and we were talking back and forth and joking whatever and they said well it's like that guy we talked to the other day um what was his name and nick frost goes oh yeah men call him Balosh, and i go and i go Balosh. And, and I'm knowing in my head where they're leading this. They go, no, no, Belloc, Belloc, Belloc. And I'm going, damn it, that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I knew where you were going. I get it. I'm cool like you. We're friends. We're. I get it. Let's hang out. And then they looked at me and said, no, we understand. You speak bocce. And they walked away. And I went, that's two. Crap. Is this Star Wars? Can't we? I want to hang out with you. Take me with you. I'm, I'm
0: actually going to change, sorry, both of our uh, worst interviews ever to no effects like Jonah. <laughs> my last oh, one God, of my last yeah, warp tours. Bad. Okay. This is like one of my last warp tours, and I was working with Steven and it was my first time doing anything with Fat Mike too. And it was like it was awesome. I was like, oh my God. He was drinking well again, carrying a Hendrix gin bottle. He they just come off
1: stage from playing. Yeah. So he was already hammered. He was already hammered.
0: And I was like, All right, so you're gonna put that down for the interviews. And he's like, Nope. And I was like, Okay, well, whatever, it's funny, just turn it around or whatever. I was like, I'll deal with it. Whatever, it's fine. And first it was actually Mike and Brian Baker. Mm-hmm. We had you guys sitting on that like planet of the apes looking kind of like cool mountainous thing that we found. Do you were remember sitting this? on where a
1: he- giant slab like yeah. like a wall like a mountain of cinder blocks broken apart in Scranton, Pennsylvania, <laughs> which already sounds like a cruise. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Steven's in the middle of the interview, and I think this is where it just starts where just Fat Mike just just decides to blow the biggest snot rocket I'd ever seen. Where no, I'm not, and I'm not even kidding. We couldn't cut like around it. He bl- there, he's talking to Brian Baker, and he's that like blows the snot rocket and it's it's one of those that's like four feet long and it won't break and he's like oh shoot. no and he's like <laughs> during the interview and steven's just still so anyway and like i don't even know if
1: i couldn't see it Brian i knew what was going Brian. on
0: and i'm just like Oh my God. It was like, this is an awesome interview. I don't even know if, like, we had like a two shot and we had a wide shot and that was it. And I was like, we gotta get, just go on. And like, it was like, it was a total mess. So then Mike breaks the snot, you know, and then he like takes it and like, he doesn't know what to do with it, wipes <laughs> it, wipes it on the rock. And then he's just like got that gross, like, snot hand. So I'm like, this wasn't so bad. Now we have no effects coming up next. This is fine. We can cut around that. It's we did be Fat
1: fun. Mike and Brian because we thought it'd be funny to get the two guys that are notorious for on Warp Tour of making fun of all the other bands. Right. So that was kind of funny. But then we had to do the actual no effects interview.
0: So Steven and, and Mike uh, start doing their interview. And then.
1: Uh, and Heff was in the interview.
0: This, this is where, yeah. And uh, right.
1: <laughs> so Fat Mike. Uh, Mike says before the interview, I have to piss, like really badly. Can, can, you- I, can I pee on camera?
0: He whips his dick out and just starts urinating. And then, like, literally, like, Steven's cracking up. I'm like, there's
1: people... that I think the rest of Bad Religion all looked and were just like, oh, dude. Well, that's because he starts peeing and he goes and pees. Bad Religion is sitting behind their tour bus. We had changed locations, so now... All these tour buses are in the background. You know, hey, let's do an interview in front of a tour bus. But never done that, <laughs> so we go and there's tour buses behind us. And Mike starts peeing because he said, "Hey, can I pee on camera?" And I went, "Sure, I don't give a shit." <laughs> um, and, Literally, and Mike's like, and Mike's like, "This is happening." So he starts peeing, and then he starts aiming the pee at, at, at bad religion. Oh, and at bad religion, and you, anyone around in the yeah, his all radius. Of bad religion jump up and run. They're like, "Oh my God, Mike!" And he starts peeing, and I'm like moving and whatever this.
0: And he's just cracking up, and then. Then he puts his dick away, and I'm like, "Okay, we're ready for the interview." And he goes, "Nope, hold up, nope, sharded. I sharded." And I go, no. "I go. He's got to be kidding. He's being funny, right?" He goes, "Nope. Any napkins? Anybody? Napkins?" And that's when we had to send Carmelina to get
1: this poor PA. Her first warp tour walks over. He tears a piece of paper off of her clipboard, shoves it down the back of his pants on camera. Yeah. On camera, pulls it out, gazes upon it. Shows everybody
0: shows it to the camera <laughs> that he wasn't he wasn't kidding he shit his pants yeah and then throws it away and comes back to the interview to which our audio guy then went he's not touching anything like he was like don't get he's like he didn't want him to touch the stick mics everyone was Purelling. I was Purelling
1: just watching it like yeah
2: I want to Purell right now so <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. hearing the story
1: yeah it was funny and yeah. then the interview uh, he starts wiping his hands all over a healthy yeah like, oh, dude, not dude, excited about dude, that jefe. Dude. yeah. And then he says, he starts doing it on me. And I think I said, Mike, I will punch you in the face.
3: <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of times too where you have the IFB in and someone's saying something and maybe you make a comment or you kind of don't react the way mm-hmm. they want you to react. And that could be misconstrued as something. And we also live in the the world of like the Yahoo headline blurb. Oh, yeah. Where I'm afraid of that. Cause I'm like, my, my claim to fame is I'm going to say something stupid and I'm going to be a Yahoo headline blurb one day. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I, and then I'll be that guy who said something
1: stupid on that day and that's how I'll be known. Dude, I've written things stupid. I, I have, I've, I've, I trust me. You're fine. Okay. I've (laughs) said and written and done shit. There have been attorneys have been contacted over shit I have said. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not making that up, and Jonah knows what I'm talking about, and we're not going to go into it because we're running out of time. Um, but I don't want to end on this note. <laughs> I want to end on something in- incredibly, incredibly positive. And the only thing that-, that pops into my skull is that when I was at Fuse, uh, I got married, and I was hosting a show there that- where there was a lot of fun. And It was a show called The Weekly Riff and it was so good and fun that of course they canceled it. good and it, idea and it was, <laughs> it was, it was it was a roundtable kind of PTI kind of show yeah, for music and things. And when I was I had I'd been saving up my vacation, we're gonna go on our honeymoon. it was gonna be great. Uh, they didn't want to stop the run of the show and I agreed because the show was great. Uh, you. Came right in, and I want to say that I was involved in choosing that because I was listing names of people, and someone's no, 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 it wasn't me. I wish it was me. I was angry that it wasn't me. Someone said <laughs> Jim Shear is going to fill in. I was like, that's the best person ever. I was listing, you know, uh, like like other hosts I knew, names of bands and things, because in my head you were still up at IFC or you were getting over to VH1, and I was like, I didn't think you could do it or whatever. They brought you in, and you were amazing. Thank you. I watched every episode. It was phenomenal.
3: Do you know that I tried to be a guest on that show multiple times and they wouldn't have me as a guest, but then I got the call to be a host. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, at least I'm gonna be on the weekly riff. I'm like, if I couldn't be
1: on as a commentator, at least I get to host. And I and and I had one worry, and the worry was that everyone is gonna realize how much cooler and nicer and better a host you were. And then I was going to come back and go, jim, Jim's jim got the gig, right? And he's going to, all right. I mean, I would do the same thing. I would cast Jim over me. Hands, hands down. I used to describe people, like, how would you describe Jim Shear? I'm like, Jim Shear is like me, except he's really nice and he smiles more. <laughs> well, the thing is, the funny thing is that I've had...
3: G- gigs I've been on where I've needed to go somewhere and I've recommended you. Thank you. But they've, you know, readjusted the schedule where I didn't have to leave. See, that's and nice. then whenever I'm complimented in the business, your name is usually attached. Like, oh man, you're like, I mean, you're so cool. Like, I mean, the only guy
1: like you is like Steven. So that's a good thing. I've heard the same from many bands. Cause it was a nice crossover because if people were cool to you, it would be cool to us, and it was, it, I don't know, it's, word travels fast, and you know why it's so hard to think of a crappy interview is because I find most people are actually cool. Yeah. And most people we talk to are actually cool, They're pretty ego list, they're like, this is awesome, and the hardest part about our job against any other host in most capacities from, from Letterman to uh, Regis Philbin to Ryan to Fallon to whatever is Letterman set the standard of he does not interview bands. He, he stopped doing it after Elvis Costello. It's famous footage. You should look it up. It's hilarious. Where Elvis takes the card and says, you don't know anything, do you? It's phenomenal. <laughs> so he that. stopped interviewing bands. What you and I do is hard because bands, if they could talk, they wouldn't play instruments. You know, they'd be actors or something. So getting something out of a musician is – and to go back to what you were talking about earlier, getting people to do what we do, people think they can do it. That is a skill, and you are exceptional at it. You can draw things out of bands that – People wouldn't think of you can come from a perspective of being in a band which goes a long way with talking to a musician and it's it's incomparable and you're great and you still do it you do it weekly that's why they keep you there because you're really good at it thank you bh1 top 20 is on every sunday <laughs> at 9 a.m prime it's touching it's touching prime. it's good stuff prime when i say go out on a good moment we go out on a good <laughs> fucking <laughs> moment Dude, thank you so much.
3: Yeah, thank you, guys. This was fun.
1: All right, everybody. Uh, That podcast was much longer. (laughs) That (laughs) literally took me like, how many times did I email you?
2: so many times
1: it's like a week or so to edit that because jim we would go i was the epitome of going off track and you can hear jim saying we need to get back on track because he's so focused he wanted to talk about being a host
2: but i think we could have edited that so it was jim interviewing you if we wanted to also because he had so many questions because i feel like you guys are both so used to asking other people questions
1: yeah you get you get it turned around my favorite is whenever david letterman would have regis philbin on regis immediately turns it around and (laughs) starts talking to dave and asking how are you right david letterman grumbles (laughs) so when we get david letterman on yes can you imagine no. like if we got like yeah no <laughs> I, mean, has he been, I mean has he been on wtf or anything i don't think so Letterman? no he's like he's a very grumpy dude he doesn't talk to anybody yeah that's from what true. i from what i hear um i mean it was a big deal when conan o'brien just went on late night recently i mean that was huge and they just and oh, really i didn't even hear about <laughs> oh it was that. great and all, they both did like a jay leno impression and <laughs> it was really really funny and conan starts cracking up he's like i was told we weren't going to talk about this <laughs> but that's the way david letterman works is uh, our friend rob Crabb, who works on jimmy fallon uh he produced a show Joan and i worked on and he worked on letterman and he told me that david letterman is the one host where when you go on his show the set when you go on a talk show the second producer says well this what would you like to talk about talk about the movie talk about the album whatever tell a fun story you feed that to the host the host then knows to uh, prompt you to tell this funny story and make some interesting TV. Letterman is the opposite. They tell you, you're going to talk about this story, but Dave has carte blanche and he can ask you whatever he wants. And it'll all really? go out the window. Yeah. Dave Letterman. That's because he's Letterman. Yeah. And he's the best interviewer outside of Stern, you know, so he's does whatever he wants.
2: Have you not heard of Larry King?
1: I have. <laughs> and here's what I like about Larry King. Larry King interviewing Eric Clapton. The blues. What are they? Explain them to me. (laughs) Because Larry King has no shame. You know, he'd be like, John Travolta. Disco. I'm not aware of it.
2: Have you ever seen that clip where he interviews Jerry Seinfeld? I'm sure you have. He was Jerry Seinfeld. And he's like, and your show didn't even get canceled. You guys decided to end it. And Jerry Seinfeld gets so arrogant. He's like, decided to get canceled. We're the biggest show on TV. We have X amount of viewers. Like, get can't like, and it's just like, and I've been watch, I've been on such a Seinfeld kick lately. But that interview keeps coming up, and I'm like, man, he sounds so arrogant and like so condescending that it's like, I wish I had never seen it. Uh, so everyone, go check it out. It will maybe ruin Seinfeld for you too. If other people haven't haven't already
1: ruined it, like Michael Richards. <laughs> but he redeemed himself. He redeemed himself. Cur- himself curb sort. your enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was funny. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, we've now extended this super long podcast with Jim Shear. (laughs) But that's fun. Yes. I hope you all learned something if you want to work with a microphone.